Well, we're going to be in Acts 5. <clears throat> Acts chapter 5. And this is the same uh, passage Charles read last week. And I'm just going to look at a little bit of a different angle on it. I'm going to start in verse 27. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed, by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days Thaddeus rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about four hundred, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Jesus is the Christ. Well, today I just want to focus on the Apostles' message. The Apostles' message. And this is the shortest sermon so far, if you want to call it a sermon. And it's going to be more of an overview of the things that unite all the sermons so far. What's the focus of the Apostles' message? Well, the council knew what it was. Look what they said in verse 28. We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. You can see it in Acts 4. Let's, I'm going to read a little bit of the last sermon. Uh, he... Peter gave in Acts 4, I'm going to read uh, 5, starting verse 5. On the next day, the rulers and the elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, 
If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So what's the message? The message is Jesus, Jesus Christ. That's the message. They proclaim Jesus, Jesus as the center of history. Jesus Christ is the hinge on which history turns. There's one thing that the entire Old Testament is pointing towards, and there's one thing that the entire New Testament is pointing back towards, and that's the man, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the focal point, not just of the apostles' teaching, not just of the Bible, but of history. The entire history of the world hangs on one man's life and death and resurrection, Jesus Christ. The Old Testament, think about this, the Old Testament is about Jesus. It's about Jesus Christ. Think about Abel. Abel died. And his blood cries out. Who's, who is the greater Abel? It's Jesus Christ. His blood cries out. For what? Both for the guilt of those who reject and as the cleansing power for those who have accepted. And we could go on. You, we could spend 30 minutes going through every book of the Old Testament talking about Jesus. We could spend hours, if we wanted, going through every single chapter of the Old Testament and talking about how it points to Jesus. It's amazing. Jesus Christ is what we've been looking for. Jesus Christ is what God promised us. You know, think about Abraham. God said that he would bless the whole world through Abraham. How did God bless the whole world through Abraham? Well, in Acts 3, they said it was by Jesus. They said Jesus was the reason, Jesus was the way God was going to bless the whole world through Abraham. Look at this, Acts three seventeen through 24. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers, about what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that this Christ would suffer, thus he fulfilled. See there, all the prophets. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things, about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers, and you shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. So there Moses Moses was pointing to Jesus. And Moses was a type of Jesus. 23. And it shall be that every soul that does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days, What was it Samuel and every other prophet was proclaiming? The days of Jesus. 25. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that you made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. How were they blessed? What was the blessing? 26. God, having raised up his servant, Jesus, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Jesus was the blessing. 
Jesus was the blessing God promised Abraham, and God sent him, the servant, to bless. Bless Israel and bless the whole world by what? Turning them from their sins. It's amazing. Jesus Christ, the center of history, the the answer to all the things the prophets were prophesying, Jesus. And the whole New Testament's pointing back to Jesus. Paul says that if Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead, then we're to be pitied above all men. It's not a teaching that's just about something that happened uh, and we accept it as facts. It's about a person, a real living person who really lives today and that we base our life on him. The New Testament and the Apostles' message is Jesus Christ, Jesus, the man, the person, God in the flesh. Now, here's the scary part. What if, what if we're off? You know, what if we forget the main thing? What's the main thing? We lose, we lose something. You know, George Whitfield. He went to hear a sermon. It was interesting what he says. He says this. He went to hear a sermon, and the and the man preached against the common prayer book and all the other things that were the big hot topics in the day. And when he came to invite poor sinners to Jesus Christ. His breath was so spent, he could scarcely be heard. So he spent all his breath proclaiming against all these wrong things. And he, was, he got to the end where he was going to invite sinners to Jesus. He was so out of breath, you couldn't hear what he said. And this is Whitfield's response. What a pity. I retired, I wept, I prayed, and I preached in the fields. He, I mean, this is, this is amazing. He goes to hear a sermon. It is not about Jesus. It's not about Jesus. It's against all these wrong things. And by the time they get to Jesus, the guy's so out of breath, you can't hear what he says. What does Whitfield do? He goes to his room and he starts weeping because there was no Jesus. And then what? He prayed. And then what? He went out into the fields and thousands of people came to hear about what? Not about all the wrong things. Not about church government, whatever, all these other things that were the big deal in in that day about Jesus himself. It's amazing. He says things like, the poor sinners uh, were covered in tears. I mean, I can't imagine seeing somebody weep till their clothes were wet. But that's what he said happened. Jesus Christ proclaimed is what Whitfield did. It's what the apostles did. Spurgeon says this, People have often asked me, what is the secret of your success? I always answer that I have no secret other than this that I have preached the gospel. Not about the gospel, but the full, free, glorious gospel of the living Christ, who is the incarnation of the good news. Preach Jesus Christ, brethren, always and everywhere, and every time you preach, be sure to have much of Jesus Christ in the sermon. You see, we can't miss Jesus. We can't miss talking about the person of Jesus. Jesus Christ is the thing that unites all the apostles' sermons, it's the thing that all of history is hanging on, it's the thing that every single person's life is hanging on. What do you do with Jesus? Jesus is the focal point. Jesus Christ, well, let me read you one more verse. Listen to this. In Him we have redemption through His blood, 
the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. What is the plan for eternity? Jesus. Jesus was the plan. Jesus to unite all things in Him. It's not just now. It's not just for now. It says for eternity. We're, all, we're always going to be looking back to Jesus. When you, you're either going to die, and every single day for the rest of your existence, you're going to regret rejecting Jesus. Or you're going to every single day for the rest of your existence rejoice that you know Jesus. Those are the only options. Jesus is the center. And he's not only the center, he's a hinge. He's a, they said he's either the stumbling block or he's the cornerstone. He can't be something in between. He's one or the other. You know, there's a, a lever, you know, has the fulcrum at the middle. And it's either going to go to the right or to the left. And that's the way that Jesus Christ is for every single person in history. There's Jesus at the center. What's going to happen? On the one side, eternal torment, rejection, wrath for every sin we've ever committed. And on the other side, eternal life, fellowship with God, knowing Him. And how is it going to be decided? It's going to turn on what do we do with Jesus. Jesus Christ, the person. So that's the overview. But let's talk about some of the specifics. First, they talked about the life of Jesus. Why do we focus on Jesus? One, it's because of the Bible. It's very clear from the Bible that we should focus on Jesus. But listen to this. They proclaimed the life of Jesus. Acts 2.22, a man attested to you by God. It talks about how they know, they saw. They saw his life. They saw the works. They, they knew what he said. And that's what Peter says to them. You guys know all about this. You know about Jesus. You know about how he lived. You know, in John 5.36, Jesus says, The works the Father has given to me accomplish to accomplish these very works I am doing, and they bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. The life of Jesus is self-attesting. If you read about the life of Jesus, you will see He is God. It's amazing. What it's saying is there is an undeniable fact. It's that Jesus is real and true, and you can know it how? By just seeing what He was like. I want to read you this Spurgeon quote. Spurgeon says this, Mark you this, I do not believe there is a single honest man living who having heard the gospel simply preached does not in his conscience believe it to be true. I am persuaded that the light of God will penetrate. There is such force, such energy in Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. It must and will pierce through some crevice and convince at least the natural conscience. But this is the very reason why men oppose it. They do not want it to be true. It would be unpleasant for them if it were true. They would be compelled to live more strictly than they do. They feel it would cut against their previous notion, pull down their old prejudices. They love darkness. What they do not want to be true, they try to prove not to be true. 
he says this, he doesn't believe that any time someone really presents Christ, there's any doubt, there's any real doubt. And that's what Jesus taught too. Jesus said, if anyone's will is to do God's will, you'll know whether my teaching is from God. If you're honest at all, if you have any honesty, you're going to know if I'm from God or not. You know, people at, at campus uh, and in the modern world, they're saying, well, we've got an evidence problem. Here's Jesus, but I need evidence. I need evidence. I need evidence. And Jesus says, you do not have an evidence problem. You have a will problem. If you want to know my teaching is from God, you will know. It's obvious. And he says, not only that, you do know that the works that I have been sent to do, they bear witness about me. It's amazing. Jesus is saying the life of Jesus is self-attesting. You don't have to learn the arguments. If you're going to go out and share the gospel with someone, you just need to present Jesus. Lay before them Jesus. Don't get in a discussion about all these other things. Just talk to them about Jesus. He's clear. It's, it's very clear that Jesus Christ is real. And let me tell you this. It's unbelievable. You can see this. You can see this. Think, think with me about the way people react to Jesus. Do you realize how amazing it is that after 2,000 years, if you mention Jesus' name, you can make people extremely uncomfortable? Why? Because they know there's something different. Why is it when we go down to the bars on Friday nights and we're passing something out that you pass something and they say, what's this? Oh, it's talking about Jesus. Why when you say the word Jesus, do they start pulling their... Uh, Necklines up and their skirt hems down a little bit lower because the name of Jesus convicted them. I did not say anything about their clothes. I said the name Jesus and immediately their conscience is convicted. I should not be dressed like this. I shouldn't be out here doing this. That's amazing. How is it that there's a man that lived 2,000 years ago that you just mention his name and people are uncomfortable? Well, it's because they know, right? It's because what Spurgeon said and what Jesus said is true. That the life and works of Jesus pierce the conscience. There's not a question. They weren't thinking in their mind, oh, well, is Jesus really real? No, it struck their conscience. They knew, Jesus is different than me. Jesus is better than me. I'm living beneath the standard that Jesus would have for me. And they're immediately convicted. It's amazing. There was a guy in the jail who was saying horrible things about Jesus saying how he doesn't believe in Jesus and all these horrible things. And I said to him, do you realize you're going to have to say all that to Jesus? You're going to meet Jesus. You're going to stand before him. He's a resurrected reigning king. And you're going to have to say all that stuff that you just said to me to Jesus' face. And his shoulders kind of sunk and he said, that's horrible. Why? Well, it's obvious. He, he knew Jesus was real. If he thought Jesus wasn't real, he would have said, Well, I'm never going to meet Jesus. Instead, his conscience was pricked and he crumpled. He thought, man, that stuff that I just said is horrible. And I don't want to have to say that to Jesus. It's amazing. Jesus' life is self-attesting. Don't miss. Don't miss this. You know, they could have gotten into a conversation here with the... Uh, Sadducees about the resurrection. You know, I think the Sadducees would have been perfectly comfortable having an argument about the Bible and whether there's a resurrection or not. But what? The apostles didn't even go there. They didn't worry about arguing with them about doctrine. They just started talking to them about Jesus. And what happened? They said, stop talking about that. Stop talking about Jesus. Stop preaching in the name of Jesus. They knew. You know, 
Another way you can know that it's self-attesting is whenever, whenever people are confronted with the reality of Jesus, what do they want? They want to tell you all the reasons that's not true? No, it says in, when, they, when Stephen preached Jesus, it says they plugged their ears and they ran at him to kill him. Why did they plug their ears? Why didn't they just argue back? Well, they, because they knew it was true. They knew it was true. That's why they had to plug their ears and try and ignore it. You know, it says here that the Holy Spirit is, is also bearing witness. Look at verse 32. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. When you talk to someone and you start telling them about Jesus, it's not you. It's not just you. It's pretty amazing. A lot of times I'll talk to people on campus and I'll tell them, listen, I know I'm saying words to you, but it's not just me saying this right now. Your conscience is telling you that what I'm saying is true, and the Holy Spirit is telling you that what I'm saying is true. So whenever you share with Jesus, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit came to what? To glorify Jesus. And so you start sharing Jesus with someone, and something happens. Their heart, their own heart is telling them something. That I'm living beneath the life of Jesus. I know something about the life of Jesus, and I know that I'm not living up to anything near what He was like. I know I'm not living up to what He said. And not only that, the Holy Spirit is proclaiming, this is true, this is true. It's amazing. But we've got to stick to teach it, talking to them about Jesus. Right? That's the promise, is that He'll glorify Jesus. It's not The promise isn't, the Holy Spirit will make you look good if you get in an argument. The Holy, the Holy Spirit said, I'm going to proclaim Jesus. I'm going to glorify Jesus. So we got to stick to the point, which is Jesus. Bring it back to Jesus. You meet somebody and they say they're an atheist, start asking them about Jesus. You meet somebody and they say they're a Muslim, start asking them about Jesus. You meet somebody and they say they're a Buddhist, say, well, what about Jesus? Jesus. The life of Jesus. It's amazing. You read it and you know it's true. There's no person that lives with more love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, like Jesus. Nobody. It shakes the whole world. You know, you hear people say a bunch of excuses, but I've never heard anyone say, yeah, but Jesus' life was so weak. He wasn't even that good of a guy. I've never heard anybody say that. Right? Right? Let me ask you this. Why, whenever you talk to someone, if you, I'll give you one example. We'll get back to this later on in the sermon, but I'll give you one example. Somebody says, well, I just believe in many, there's many different ways to get to heaven. Well, you could have a talk with them about that, but what you need to do is just bring it back to Jesus and say, well, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's what Jesus said. So either there are many ways, or there's one way. Jesus said there's one way. And if you want to say there's many ways, you can say that. But you have to be able to say to me, I know more than Jesus. Jesus said there's one way, but I know better, there's actually many ways. Well, the problem is if you state it in terms of Jesus, they won't say it. They'll back off and they'll say, no, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying I know more than Jesus. Well, then what are you saying? I'm just saying there's many ways. Well, Jesus said there's one way. One of you's right, one of you's wrong. Which one's right? They won't say, I'm right and Jesus is wrong. Why? Because their conscience convicts them. They know it is not right for me to stand up and say, I know more than Jesus. 
And so when you put it in terms of Jesus, there's a, there comes to be a problem. The problem is they know the truth. So not only the life of Jesus, number two, the death and resurrection of Jesus. The death and resurrection of Jesus. They're always talking about this. That's what these guys are saying. You're intending to bring this man's blood upon us. They keep talking about how Jesus died and was raised. Again, the center of history. The stumbling block or the cornerstone of your life is the death and resurrection of Jesus. The stumbling block or the cornerstone. Do you realize how horrible it's going to be to meet Jesus on Judgment Day and to say to His face, yeah, I heard that you would forgive me. I didn't want to be forgiven. Yeah, I heard that you loved me and I didn't care. I loved TV more. That is going to be so horrible. And the reality is, is that people know it now. If you bring it up, people know it now. It's not just that they're going to realize it on Judgment Day. When you talk about Jesus, His life and death, people know now it's wrong to reject Him. The death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. It's going to be a stumbling block or the cornerstone. Well, what is it going to be if it's a stumbling block? The God that you rejected, you will meet face to face and give an account. That's horrible. To meet the very God you have wanted nothing to do with. To see the holes in His hands and the feet and to say, I care nothing about that. That's going to be horrible. That's the stumbling block. Or it's the cornerstone. It's the hope. It's your hope. I get to see Jesus. Jesus covered my sins and I get to know Him. He's literally your best friend or the worst thing in your life. That's the only options. Why? Because He is the hinge. He's the, he's the cornerstone. There's no, it's going to fall one way or the other. It can't be anywhere in between. Jesus is literally the best thing that's ever happened to you or it's the worst news because He's going to be your judge. Those are the only options. And what happens when we meet every person is they're on one side, one side or the other of the, of the fulcrum of the lever. And so what, what do we do? Point them to Jesus. Talk to them about the death and resurrection of Jesus. Christ is going to be your accuser or your advocate. One or the, one or the other. He's going to commend you to God or His words are going to condemn you before God. Well, let's keep going. Not only the death and resurrection, there's so much more we could say about it. But not only that, the reign of Jesus. The reign of Jesus. Look at this. That God, verse 31, God exalted Him at His right hand as leader and Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Does the NASB say prince? Is that what it says? Prince. So you see the same idea. He's reigning. He's the leader. He's the, he's the author, same word. He's the prince. He's the one that's in control. He's on the throne. So what does that mean? It means this, that here's the perfect life of Jesus. You can see His life is perfect. You can see that, he's, that you and me and every single person that ever lived, we do not compare to Jesus. We can see that. 
his death and resurrection. We're either under his blood in terms of forgiveness or we're guilty in terms of rejection. He's either going to be our advocate or our accuser. He's our hope or it's the very person we don't want to meet at all. And then what? Not only that, this one person is the king. He's the ruler. God exalted him. So we can either obey him or be a rebel against him. I mean, it's one thing. If you, if you came up to me and spit in my face, what does that matter? I'm nobody. But whatever it is, I don't know what the worst thing you've ever done is, but the, the person you don't want to mistreat is the, is the person, that's the king, right? I mean, it gets worse the higher you go. You've heard this before. You spit in the king's face in Saudi Arabia and they'll cut off your head, you know. Jesus. Jesus, the reigning king. That's the one who offered you forgiveness. That's the one who lived the perfect life. That's the one who you've rejected. That's either the best news in the world or the worst news. Right? It doesn't say it doesn't say that Jesus is the leader for some. I mean, he is the leader. He is, and you're either rejecting him or you're submitting to him. You know, there's a there's a psalm that I really like that kind of talks about this. It's actually kind of a prophecy, which is pretty awesome. It's in I'll just read it to you so you don't have to flip there. It's um it's in Psalms eighty nine. It's pretty amazing, really. Okay. Psalm 89, 35 to 38. It says this, For, for all, uh, Once for all I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever. His throne as long as the sun before me. Like the moon it shall be established forever, forever. A faithful witness in the skies. So here's God prophesying David's throne is going to last forever. Just like the sun up in the sky. I mean, think about that. The sun's up in the sky. What are you going to do? You can curse and say, come down. You're not going to do anything. You're not going to do anything to the sun. You can curse your whole life, stamp your feet, shake your fist. It's still there. You can cover your eyes, ignore it. No, it's not. The sun's not up there. What are you doing? You're being a fool. It's the same way with Jesus. Jesus is the reigning king. He is. There's nothing you can do about it. You can hate it all you want. You can curse and shout, pretend it's not real. It's not going to do anything. He's still there. He's still the king. God, God the Father, exalted Jesus as what? As a stamp. If His life wasn't enough, God the Father saying, See... He is, He is the perfect man. I've raised Him from the dead. I've exalted Him to, 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 the, to the right hand. He is King and Lord of all. So when you reject Jesus, you're not just rejecting Jesus, you're rejecting God the Father, right? You're, and not only that, we already talked about this, the Holy Spirit is bearing witness. If you're going to reject Jesus, you're going to have to reject every single person in the Trinity too while you're at it. Jesus is the King placed there by God the Father, given 
the hinge of history, the hinge of your life and mine, all eternity, balanced on a single point, eternal death, eternal life, what will you do with Jesus? Are you going to trust Him and love Him? Are you going to serve Him and give your life to Him? Or are you going to reject Him? Is He going to be your hope? Or is there no more hope once you die? Those are the only options. You see, the reason this is the worst news in the world is because it's the best news in the world. If you reject the best news in the world, that's bad news. Think about this. What what is it like to really hear the call, repent, repent, turn from your sin, turn back to me, and to say, I don't want to. That's bad. It's worse than just living in sin. It's someone coming to you and opening it up, opening up your life and saying, see, look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this. Do you really want to live like this? And you say, yes, I don't want to turn. I don't want to repent. I want to keep on going. I want to keep going in my sin. You know, it's one thing, think about it just in terms of a court. There's a man standing before a judge and the judge says, okay, I think I'll forgive you. You know, it seems like maybe this is just a one-time thing and, and I think... I think you're going to turn it around. And the guy says, no, I am not. I don't want to be forgiven. I want to keep on. That's bad. That's bad. That's worse than just getting caught in the first place. It's saying, I'm going to keep going. And that's what happens with every person that's heard about Jesus Christ. You're either going to keep going or you're going to accept and run to Him. It's one thing to have cancer. It's another thing to spit in a doctor's face and say, I will not be cured. Right? That's what we're doing to Jesus. He's saying, I'll save you, I'll change you, I'll make you new. And people are saying, no, you won't. I don't want to be new. I don't want to be free from my sin. I want to keep on going. That's bad. Now here's the thing. If, if we stopped here, we'd just be talking about what the apostles said. But we want to keep going and do, it, do, do the right thing, which is, not just like Spurgeon said, not just talk about the gospel, but preach the gospel. So now here, I want to talk to you, you personally. I want to talk to you. Not just what these guys, these guys rejected Jesus. These guys are going to meet Jesus. What about you? You know, here's the thing. Nobody wants to phrase it this way. I've rejected Jesus. But if you're not a Christian, that's you have to say that. I have rejected Jesus. Every single person in here who's not a Christian, I want you to think about it. What you're saying is, I have rejected Jesus Christ. I've rejected Him. I've rejected Him as Savior. I've rejected Him as leader. I've rejected Him as Lord. I've rejected Him as the bread of life. I've rejected Him. Why, why do we have to say it that way? Because it makes it so clear. Even your conscience is telling you, that is wrong. I should not be saying that. I should not be rejecting Jesus. And so what I'm going to encourage you to do is to think clearly about it, to be able to say it clearly. And if you're a Christian, think about this. When you share the gospel with someone, don't let them just get away with saying, well... I, I'm just, I get so busy, I just can't really read my Bible. It just gets you know, lost in the mix. No. Bring it to Jesus. Say, do you really want to know Jesus? It's, people are comfortable saying, oh, I have trouble reading my Bible. People are not comfortable saying, well, I would read my Bible, but I just really don't really want to know Jesus very much. People know that's wrong. We've got to bring it back to Jesus. 
everything we're doing. We're either, we're either rejecting Jesus or we're running to Jesus. Yeah. I've already shared the example of um, there's many ways to heaven. Bring it back to Jesus. Tell that person, well, you can say that. There's many ways to heaven, but if you do, you have to know that what you're saying is, I know better than Jesus. Well, that gets them in a real bind because they know they don't know more than Jesus. What else? Here's another common one. I've just met so many hypocrites. I can't be a Christian. I've met so many hypocrites. Maybe my parents or so-and-so. I went to such and such a church. Don't let people get away with that. Why? Tell them this. You're going to stand before Jesus. You're rejecting Jesus. I mean, you're saying it's because of these other things, but what you're doing is you're saying, I don't want to know Jesus. Don't say it, oh, there's all these hypocrites. Yeah, well, Jesus said there was going to be hypocrites. So does that show you that Jesus was true and a real prophet? You're still rejecting Jesus. What did Jesus do? Why are you rejecting him? Don't tell me about all these examples of people you know. Tell me why you hate Jesus, why you don't want to know Jesus. Now, that's a difficult question. Why don't you want to know Jesus? Because those other people, these things these other people done, doesn't matter. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus said not to do that. Jesus said don't be a hypocrite. Jesus said be real. Why don't you want to know Jesus? Don't say something about some, what some other church did or somebody else did. I want to know why you don't want to know Jesus himself. You don't want me to do that to you. You don't want me to come up to you and say, Oh, I'm, I don't want anything to do with you. I know such and such person in your family and this person talked to me about you. You want people to take you for who you are and actually try to at least get to know you. Well, what about Jesus? Have you tried to get to know Jesus? Do you really want to know him? Or have you rejected him? Why did you reject him? Is it his works? No, they're perfect. Is it his words? No, you know they're true. Why reject Jesus? Well, think about this. People that say, I believe it's by, I just believe it's by faith and works. What are they doing? They're rejecting Jesus. Right? It's not this, it's not a discussion about, well, here's some theological points. It's, is the blood of Jesus enough? Does Jesus' blood actually cover sins? Or do you need to help Jesus? Do you, do you need to do more? Jesus is offering what? A gift, right? That's, that's another point. The gift that they're, they're talking about here, the apostles are talking about the gift of forgiveness, the blotting of, out of sins, repentance. Here's all these, the, Jesus is coming with a gift. And if you say, well, I know that you're coming with a gift, but I want to earn it. You're rejecting Jesus. You're rejecting his gift. You're saying, no, it's not enough for you to do it for me. I've got to add something myself. Your death is not good enough to get me to heaven. I've got to do something. I've got to add to it. I've got to put in my two cents. That's not true. That's not true. You're rejecting Jesus' gift. If you don't repent, you are rejecting Jesus. There's Every single person begins life loving sin. We, they love, we love sin. So you're, you're living for whatever it is. TV, movies, money, success, uh, other people thinking well of you, you're, you're loving that. But if you do, you have to see that what you're saying is, I love that more than Jesus. I could be going this way and give all that up to know Jesus, but 
YouTube, spending my time on YouTube is better than knowing Jesus. The problem is you've got to see that you're doing it. You know in your conscience. You're not going to feel good telling, okay, let's say it this way. Imagine I introduced you in the church here. And I said, hey, this is so-and-so. He thinks YouTube is better than Jesus. That's why he's rejecting Jesus. You better pray for him. You would feel horrible. It's just me to introducing you to another person. Imagine saying, having to say that to God. That's what God sees. God looks down and sees, so-and-so thinks YouTube is better than Jesus. That's scary. That's rejecting Jesus. Anything short of repentance is rejecting Jesus. Whatever it is that you're going for, that you won't let go of, you're saying, I'm rejecting Jesus so I can hold on to this thing. But at least be honest with yourself and begin to say it. You know who I would have hope for? Somebody came up and said, Hey, pray for me because I'm rejecting Jesus to read fiction all the time or just to entertain myself or for other people to think good of me or whatever. If somebody was able to say it that way, they're almost there. They're close to the kingdom. They can at least see that this thing is not... It's not that I'm half-hearted and I really do want to know Jesus. It's, it's that I've rejected Jesus for this. At least you know. At least you can say it. That would be such a blessing. You know, that brings up another point. To be half-hearted is to reject Jesus. To be half-hearted is to reject Jesus. You know, Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. He either hates the one or loves the other. He clings to one. He disregards the other. The thing you're clinging to, you're clinging to it. At what? At the disregarding of Jesus. You know, I've said this before, but I'll say it again because it's so true. I meet a lot of people who cling to time with their friends and entertainment. I meet hardly anyone who says, Oh yeah, I was up real late last night because I had to meet with Jesus. I couldn't, I could, my time in the Word was too dry. I've got to meet with Jesus today. I hardly meet anyone who would say that, but I meet people all the time who say, yeah, we were up till 2 a.m. playing silly games or whatever. We just got to get time with my friends or whatever. What? What is that? Well, don't fool yourself into thinking, well, I'm half-hearted. I, you know, I kind of love Jesus, but I also kind of love this. And that's not true. To be half-hearted is to reject Jesus. Jesus says it's all or nothing. If you love father and mother more than me, sister or brother, you're not worthy of me. Jesus has to be your number one. It's the only option. He's the cornerstone or he's the stumbling block. If you're half-hearted, he's the stumbling block. Because he says, in the end, were that you are hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Lukewarm means at the end, you get vomited. means Jesus did not accept you. It means that half-heartedness was not real repentance. It was rejecting Jesus. Trying to mix in Jesus. Well, here's the thing. Look at this passage that we just talked about. This is what Gamaliel's trying to do. He's trying to say, well, we don't want to reject. We don't want to reject them because then we could be found opposing God. Well, you are opposing God. You just beat the apostles and you said, if they're really from God, I'm not interested in following them. I just don't want to be found opposing. Well, that's rejection. It's hidden rejection. You're trying, kind of trying to hide it, but it's rejection. If you're saying, well, I don't want to oppose, but I don't want to follow, that's rejection. That's half-heartedness. Gamaliel was half-hearted about it, and he, in the end, if he didn't repent, he lost his soul. 
You can't say, well, I'm not rejecting Jesus, I'm just not following Jesus. Well, that is rejecting. Jesus said, come follow me. Either you're following, he said to follow, you're either following or you're rejecting. Jesus says, all you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I'll give you rest. Are you coming to him for rest? Either you are or you're rejecting his offer. Only options. Jesus Christ said, I'm the bread of life. You're either feeding on him as the bread of life or you're saying, oh yeah, I reject that. Jesus is not the bread of life. X, Y, and Z is the bread of life. Getting a good job, buying a house, and being comfortable watching TV on the weekends. That's the bread of life. You eat, it's one or the other. Jesus is, or you're rejecting what he said. It's not, it's not both. You can't say, I, I'm following Jesus just half-heartedly. Or, I'm just not opposing Jesus. No. You're either following or you're, you're rejecting. Here's, here's a really, really, this is so subtle. The devil, the devil's so horrible. The devil tries to trick people all the time. The devil's trying to trick people right now, I'm sure. Listen to this one. I just find it so hard to believe in Jesus. I just, I'm not sure I really believe in him yet. Listen. I'm telling you this because I love you and I want you to really know Jesus. But if you, if that's what you're saying, it sounds so humble, but you know what you're doing? You're rejecting Jesus. You're rejecting Jesus. If you're saying, oh, I'm not sure, I'd, I'd like to believe in Jesus, I just can't believe in Him yet. You're rejecting Jesus. The devil's trying to make you feel humble, feel good about yourself, but you're rejecting Jesus. First John says, Whoever does not believe that believe God has made him a liar. Think about that. If you're saying, I'm finding it hard to believe in Jesus, what you're saying is, I think it's a good possibility Jesus was a liar. Jesus says, I'll forgive your sins. And you're saying, oh, I find it so hard to believe you'll for- God will forgive my sins. Well, the only option is, God, what He said is true, or He's a liar. It's not something like, oh, I'm so humble because I, I'm trying to believe, but I can't. No. Jesus was true or He lied. And the Bible says if you say that you don't believe, you're calling God a liar. Right? Do you understand that? Kids, if I told you something, if I told you, hey, I, we brought real good cookies, and you said, I just, I just struggle to believe that, what does that mean? It means that I'm a liar. It means you think I'm a liar. You think that I, maybe I don't do what I said. That's not true. Jesus, J- Jesus always does what He says. So if you are saying, oh, I'm struggling to believe whether Jesus will forgive my sins. I'm struggling to believe whether Jesus loves me. You know, let me ask you this, kids. Is Jesus a liar? He's not. You know He's not. So you know that Jesus will forgive your sins if you come to Him. Jesus, you know it. Don't say that you don't, you're struggling to believe. You know Jesus doesn't lie. We cannot reject Jesus. What is there going to be? What would there be for you left if you've rejected Jesus? What's going to be left? You know what's so sad? You know, here's the thing. The gospel, right? The gospel's about Jesus. Jesus is the one that forgives our sins. Jesus is the one we want to know. The reason we leave our sins is so we can know Jesus. 
We don't just repent because we feel guilty about our sins. We repent because we see, oh man, my sins are keeping me from Jesus. I want to know Jesus. Jesus is the gospel. He's the good news. He accomplished it, and He's what we get at the end. We get to know Him. So here's the thing. If you're not a Christian, you've got to turn to Jesus. Stop rejecting Jesus. If you can say to your parents, or you can say to your wife today, listen, I've been rejecting Jesus. That would be so good. If you could put your finger on why you've been rejecting Jesus, that would be so good. Tell them, I've been rejecting Jesus because of this. This thing that I won't give up or whatever. See it for what it is. Don't go on living in this fog thinking I'm half-hearted for Jesus or something. You're either following Him or you're rejecting Him. Now, if we're a Christian, if you're a Christian, if you're already a Christian, well, praise God, right? Praise God. Praise God for Jesus. You know, how many times you don't look out the window and see a sunset and say, seen that before. Right? How much more the gospel. The gospel. God really did forgive your sins. God was the stumbling block. Now He's not. He's the cornerstone. He was the one you were dreading to meet. Now He's your hope. You want to meet Him. How amazing is that? It's, it's the best news in the world. We would never believe that God would come, become a man, and die for our sins. Never. I never would have believed that God would do that. Never believe that He would give it as a free gift. But He did. Praise God for that. And we've got to keep our message clear. We've got to, we've got to stick to Jesus. You know, we, we can't make anything else the main thing. Guess what? Faith, listen to this. You can misunderstand me, but listen to this. Faith won't save you. Faith in Jesus will save you. You could have faith, all the faith in the world in the wrong thing, and it's not going to do anything. Unless you say faith in who? In Jesus, in the real living Jesus. Repentance. Repentance won't save you. Repentance won't save you. It says Pharaoh repented. Why does it say that? He turned from his sin for a moment. But what? We're not, you've got to have repentance towards God, towards Jesus. Don't just turn from your sin. Don't just change your mind about something. Go from seeking sin to repenting towards Jesus. Yeah. Repentance towards God. The reason we repent is because we want to know Jesus. Scriptures. The Scriptures won't save you. Jesus said, you search the Scriptures in vain because you think that in them you have eternal life. It's they that bear witness about me. Just as it's not, we can't just say Bible, Bible, Bible. We've got to say the Bible points to Jesus. Forgiveness. Think about this. Forgiveness is not the gospel. Jesus is the gospel. Jesus, for Jesus is the reason you can have forgiveness. Why do you want forgiveness? It's so you can know Jesus. Can't leave out Jesus. There's so many things we can make these little things our big thing. Just little one phrase things, words, um, doctrines, whatever. But we can't. We can't do that because we've got to keep our focus on Jesus. Jesus. The hinge of history. All of history turns on Jesus. Jesus, the hinge of your life and eternity. 
you will either spend the rest of your life in love with Jesus Christ, fellowship with him, or regretting that you didn't. You didn't love him. You didn't know him. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you. Lord, we are so weak and frail. And we want to be able to share about you with reality and love. And what you did was so good, Lord. What you did on the cross was so good. Thank you that you rose again. We can know you. We're not just, we're not widows. We're, we're going to go, we're going to go to a wedding. Lord, would you make something real? Would you make the scriptures real? If there's any anyone that is is somewhat serious, Lord, would you just make yourself so real to them in the scriptures? Lord, I pray that whatever's remembered about this, that it would just be Jesus, that it would be you, and people would be thinking about how great you are. Lord, I pray that you would convict by your spirit. You said you would come. You'd send your spirit to convict the world concerning sin. Because they've rejected you. And Lord, please, convict about sin and righteousness. Lord, we, we need help. Lord, don't let us, please don't let us lose focus. We want to keep preaching Jesus. We don't want to start preaching anything, even if it's a, a word in the Bible, we want to preach Jesus. Lord, we pray, there's so many groups, Lord. We pray that half-hearted Christians would be converted. Half-hearted professing Christians that are really lost would be converted. Pray that Catholics who are trusting in their works would be converted. Pray that Mormons who believe in a false Jesus would be converted. Pray that Muslims would be converted and Buddhists and atheists. Lord, we want to see people that really know and love you, but only you can do it. Lord, please help. Help us in the time we have together. Lord, we love you and we're thankful for you. Amen.